0: Thank you, Jim. Some of you have met Jim and Anna. They're relatively new to our ministry here. Thankful for the way they've gotten plugged in and been a part of the uh, community so quickly. Before we dismiss the kids to their children's church, I just want to let you know that we're going to be having uh, baptisms at the end of our service this morning. And so we're going to have the kids come back in for the baptisms <clears throat> so we can, uh, they can observe that. I see a beautiful picture of the gospel that way. So uh, if you're working uh, children's church this morning, kind of have that in your mind uh, probably about noon, start heading back this way, and, uh, and we'll be able to have the baptisms. Okay? That being said, first through third graders, you can head out to your children's church if you're a guest with us. We have a children's church available for first through third grade. And the rest of us are t- turning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, as we look at God's gift that he's given to the church, to equip and protect for ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 down through verse 16 will be the central central passage for the morning service, both for this Sunday and next Sunday. And as we look through this passage this morning, the sermon's going to be a little bit different because I'm going to be offering some principles from the passage, but a lot more explanation than normal. If you're visiting with us for the first time, normally um, our pattern is that we take a passage of scripture, we pull apart that passage, we see what scripture says in accordance with that passage, and we apply it to our hearts. But this Sunday morning is going to be just a little bit different as we begin this series, and I'll explain why here in just a minute. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 shows us that God has given gifts to the church both to equip the church and to protect the church. Let's look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So that, verse 14, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of human schemes. This passage reveals to us, That there are four things that God has given the church as gifts to both equip and protect the church. I will explain more about these specific roles and what they are in this passage next week. But what I want to focus on this morning is looking at understanding the role of that last category. It's grouped together that God has given shepherds, teachers. I believe if you have the King James in front of you, it says pastors and teachers, Because the role of shepherding is given to the office of the pastor. And so God tells the church at Ephesus that God has given specifically this office of the person who is to be both shepherding and teaching for a specific reason. You can say it this way, God has given pastors to the local church so that the congregation can be equipped for the work of the ministry and matured in their faith. And this is the concept that I'd like to bring before you this morning. As I said, this sermon is going to be a little bit different than a normal Sunday sermon. First of all, because I'm using PowerPoint. I have gone away from using PowerPoint. I used to use PowerPoint a lot several years ago. I went away from it uh, because I felt like in our Sunday morning services, people were looking at retaining information more than listening and being changed by the Holy Spirit, which isn't wrong. Uh, I jokingly would tell people when they would say, where's your PowerPoint? It helps me so much. I'd say, it's this. It's PowerPoint point, and then nobody would get it. and It's a dad joke. But but we're going to go back this morning because I'm going to be explaining um, some concepts that I think are very important for us to understand, and I've done my best to prepare, I think, uh, in a way that would be most clear for you. And so we're going to be looking specifically at the overarching concept in verses 11 through 16 that God's gift to the church, our pastor's Teachers, that's one office, There's, there could be a line there to show that it's talking about one office there. And in order to understand the background of what I'm going to bring to you this morning, I want to give you a little bit of history of what we've been through at Community since I've been here as a pastor. About five and a half years ago, I began pastoring in January of 2018, I was voted in November of 2017. Began conversations in July of 2017. I very vividly remember those conversations with the pastoral search committee. And there was a comment that several of the deacons made in the pastoral search committee process. The church at that time had been through a very very difficult time and uh, had had lost a lot of members. Had had um, a little bit uh, more than a little bit of conflict within the church. And during that time, um, several of the of the deacons mentioned something. They said. We need to go back to the very basics of what a church is. That God, over the past, we, they have been without a pastor for almost four years by the time that we got here. And and during that time, God had, had um, revealed a lot of things to Community Baptist Church. And well, the comment that kept coming up was, we need to go back to the basics to determine what a biblical church is and commit to be part of a biblical New Testament church. And so I took that on as a challenge specifically for me, stepping into this uh, pulpit and stepping into this ministry, to make it the goal of my first five years to understand and communicate effectively from cover to cover through scripture what a biblical local church was and how it's supposed to operate. And so we began the process five years ago of asking the question, what is a local church? And we came up with this definition. A local church is a community of believers who have covenanted together to assemble for worship and function as an embassy of the kingdom of God here on this earth. That's who we are as a local church. And thus the purpose and mission of the church is to make disciples by giving an accurate confession of Jesus, Covenant with others who do the same, evangelize the lost, gather together consistently for worship, and observe the ordinances. And there's a lot packed in there. In fact, for each one of our new members, we go through the class we called Starting Point, and we pull out all of these definitions and talk through them at length. By the way, if you would like to take notes on this, I can send you all this afterwards because there's going to be a lot, and if you're trying to feverishly write down everything, you're not going to make it, okay? And so please don't be frustrated with that. If you would like this information, I can send it all to you. That's what the local church is. And then we, we very quickly realized that the local church is actually can be divided into three groups. We call these offices. There are three groups within the local church in which we need to make sure that we understand and clarify And so the next step for us as a church, three years ago, was to or four years ago, was to clarify what it means to be a church member. And so we very quickly recognized that the word member does not mean member like a country club or a library or something like that. We're not card-carrying members of community. But rather, the word member means body part. Like if you get your finger cut off, it means to dismember. And so we determined that members, the role of the congregation, the membership is to do the work of the ministry by submitting to Christ and his word. If we look down at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, it says that the shepherds and teachers were given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so it is the membership's responsibility to do the ministry. Some church members believe that they hire pastors to do ministry. And the scripture would say, no, you recognize and call out pastors to equip you effectively. To do the ministry. And so we came to that conclusion four years ago. And then um, the role there is to be served by the deacons and led by the pastors, which reveals the other two offices. I strongly believe that the church membership is an office because it has both qualifications and purpose given in the New Testament, which is the, the, uh, the qualifications of, of an office there. Then about 3 years ago we started looking at deacons what are biblical deacons 2 years ago we took a weekend retreat with all of our deacons and all of the pastors and all of their wives to look into the pages of Scripture after the pastors had finished their research kind of through Scripture and come up with some principles. Then we did the exact same thing with all the deacons and their wives to determine from Scripture what a deacon was. And Scripture told us, revealed to us, that the role of the church deacons is to submit to Christ and his word by serving the physical needs of the congregation, thus providing care and unity to the church and freedom for the pastors to lead. And we'll talk a little bit more of that here in just a minute. The word diakonos literally means servant. And so there is an office given to the church of people who are to meet the physical needs of the congregation. If people's physical needs aren't met, they can't be led by the pastors. And so it's a vital office that that, uh, is instituted in Acts chapter 6 and given its qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that we'll see a little bit later. And then, after, after working through that for several years which was kind of a conceptual shift in our minds from going to deacons being a group of people who kind of just sit and make decisions to mobilized servants inside the congregation, and thus we have deacon care teams, we have deacons over certain aspects of the ministry, and hopefully that'll grow as we continue to grow as a ministry. We started to look at the role of pastor. What exactly is a biblical pastor? Now, before we look at this, you'll see a common theme, and that is that at every step of the way, we tried as much as possible to lay aside personal preferences and presuppositions and go back to the Scripture and say, let's index from Genesis to Revelation what God reveals to us about this. Let's pull out principles and let's set our pattern and our definitions by Scripture. Last fall, after completing our study, the leadership voted unanimously to adopt this concept of serving deacons in 2021 and 2022 that we looked at as the role for deacons. And so we followed that pattern, that same pattern for the role of pastors here at Community. We needed to define the role from Scripture. And so we, as pastors, got together and indexed scripture and did a study, been working on actually for several years, and then this past year, we began with the deacons about a year ago, um, looking at this concept, indexing scripture, doing Bible studies together, looking at helpful resources, and putting together a definition of what pastors are at community and how they function in the church. There was a lot of overlap between the pastor and deacon, because there's only one qualification difference, and that is that in order to be a pastor to serve in a church, you have to be what's called apt to teach or able to teach, which means you need to understand the scripture accurately and be able to communicate that to others, both to help them in their faith and to refute false doctrine. So for the past year, we've been studying this, and I'd like to show you the the. Uh, definition, kind of the role that we've come up with, and then we're going to expand it and give you the conclusion. The role of pastors is to submit to Christ and his word and lead the congregation through teaching, administration, and example. Now, (laughs) there's a lot that goes into that very simple definition, but that's the role of pastors, is to lead the congregation by teaching, administration, and example. That is elder-pastor-pastor overseer those are the three titles that are given in scripture to the one office of pastor and so when we put all of these together we came up with a conclusion with deacons and pastors together as we've been meeting to study through this we came up with a conclusion, and it's this. God intends the congregation to fulfill the ministry of the church and to be the final authority in the church. We call that congregationalism. Each congregation should be served by a plurality of deacons. Plurality means group and led by a plurality of pastors. So let's go individually in these statements and pick them apart. God intends the congregation to fulfill the ministry of the church and to be the final authority in the church. I believe the New Testament clearly pictures something that we call congregationalism, meaning that the membership of the church is the final authority. We went over this in our starting point class for several who are interested in joining our church. No matter if you believe in congregationalism or not, the congregation is the final authority. say, Pastor Joe, why do, you, why do you think that? Well, because the congregation's going to vote whether they have authority or not. They're going to vote with their th- feet in their pocketbook. And so that's how church works, is that the congregation is the final authority. Now, the question is, what aspects of that authority is given to the congregation According to scripture, and so we would see that as accepting members and putting members under church discipline. We would see that as protecting doctrine. We would see that as calling pastors and, 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 and uncalling pastors. We see that as recognizing deacons and, and unrecognizing deacons, things of that nature. Those are all authorities given to the local church membership. Each congregation should be served by a plurality of deacons, a group of deacons. Once again, this statement is not really in a lot of need of explanation here. Our Constitution recognizes the responsibilities of deacon, and it's far too much for just one person. There's no way that just one person could meet the physical needs of our membership role, which has right around 400 people on it. It's always been that way at community, and right now the goal would be to have nine deacons serving in the church, our current deacons do an amazing job to make sure that the physical needs of the congregation are met of unifying people around the word of God, served by a group, that's what the word plurality means, it just means a group of deacons. And then the last part of our, con, our conclusion, which I'm going to give to you first, and then we're going to prove through the rest of the message this morning, is that Community Baptist Church should be led by a plurality or a group of pastors. Pastors. Now, this would be the biggest change for us here at Community and one that needs the biggest explanation. This would be the main area that our leadership believes that we need to grow in here in recognizing God's pattern and aligning with God's pattern at Community. The scripture would recognize and show us the example that the leadership of the church is not a model where one man stands at the top as the sole pastor, if at all possible. There are some churches where that there's no other option. There would be a small church of maybe five to ten people. When my dad began pastoring, there were 12 people in the church, and seven of them were us. I was a little kid. And so there was no other option. There was just one pastor. But God's pattern, as we see in the New Testament, is that when possible, there would be more than just one The church would be led by a group of pastors who together shepherd the congregation by teaching, leading, administrating, and living a godly example of the Christian life. This would be a change. It would be a change from a single pastoral head to a group of pastors leading the church. Over the past two years, our pastoral staff has been discussing this concept and studying this topic out, both in scripture and reading books that would help us understand how we can be more biblical in our approach All five of the pastors at Community, including Pastor Brenton, who's not here, are in unanimous agreement that this is a model that is both biblical and best for our church. So last year, we brought the deacons formally into the conversation as well. As deacons and pastors together, as I said, we've studied this concept. We've read a book explaining this concept. We have, over the course of this past year, discussed this idea thoroughly and studied passages of Scripture, and as a group, we've met and actually interviewed pastors who are currently serving in this model of leadership, both Baptistic, Baptist, and like-minded pastors who are operating in this model to interview them, ask them theological questions, ask them textual questions, practical questions, and to get their thoughts on this matter. You are welcome to come to any of the pastors or deacons if you have questions as we've studied this together and have talked for hours and hours and hours and hours about this concept meaning that this is not something that we've taken lightly nor is it something that we've gone about quickly but is something that has been prayerfully considered for years. I'd like to read a statement for you from Rob Manacki who serves as the chairman of our deacons about the conclusion that the deacons Came to with this. Here's what Rob wrote, and I share this with his permission, obviously. It's written to the church. Over the last year, we as a deacon group have looked at Scripture, had many discussions, and had video conferences with pastors across the country concerning the plurality or the group of pastors. We as a group started this topic with some concerns and had much discussion as we looked at Scripture. This has been a very rewarding time as deacons as we looked at this topic of how we might best serve the congregation. After a year, we all came together as deacons in agreement that the plurality or group of pastors was in in fact the biblical and proper way to organize a church. This is not to say that what we've been doing was wrong. Over the years, you can point to our pastors in the past as they have worked as a team for accountability and insight which is what scripture shows us as a need for a group of pastors in serving our congregation. And what Rob points out, which I think is so important, is something that has been a part of our, con- our, um, our continual conversation is that this is not something that is different in the way that we have functioned, but it actually is different in the way that we are set up in our foundation So the conclusion that we've come to is that transitioning to a model where Community Baptist is led by a group of pastors and served by a group of deacons best represents God's plan for this local church because it accurately reflects scripture and historic Baptist polity. However, as I began very specifically, the pastors and the deacons are not the final authority in this church. I believe we've done our due diligence in our study of Scripture. I believe that we have concluded something that is both biblical and best. However, the pastors and the deacons are not the final authority in the church. The congregation is the final authority. And so you as a membership are the ones who will decide whether or not we pursue this direction. And so what I'm doing this morning, and if you're visiting, I apologize that it's a little bit of a different service. This is very unique is that I am actually bringing all of you as membership into the conversation. We're catching you up to speed, as it were, and bringing you into this discussion so that when the time comes in the future, I don't know when that will be because it will be a series that we'll go through um, we will actually vote as a congregation to see if this is the direction that we will begin to pursue. At the end of this discussion, it's not a hard and fast, yes, this is what we are now, but it would be a vote to say, yes, let's pursue this direction. And so, my responsibility, which I've taken very seriously at times with the other pastors, publicly is going to be a lay, to lay out the biblical and historical evidence for us to transition to this model of a group or a plurality of pastors. As we go through this, I'm going to schedule question and answer times on a couple of Sundays for all of you who have questions that you would like to ask, and we'll let you know when those will be. We'll try to do it on a fr- on a Saturday, uh, um, excuse me, on a Sunday evening at five o'clock, just before evening service. And then at the conclusion, we'll be voting as membership to decide if this is a direction that we would like to pursue. But before we begin, we need to ask a very important question. And that is, what in the world is he talking about? What do you mean by group of pastors? What do you mean by plurality of pastors? I've done my best to organize a PowerPoint that I hope is not cheesy. I hope it's not distracting. Um, I have spent probably too many hours trying to make this as clear as possible. But if we still have questions at the end, then uh, we'll continue with our question answer times. So, What is plurality of pastors? Well, I grew up, like many of you, in churches where the model was to have one main pastor on which everything was centered and everything was changed. Community is set up in this way. When I interviewed to be a pastor here, I asked the question, what is community's future? What is your mission? Where are you going? And let's see if we're a good fit. And the answer that I was given from the chairman at the time was, the direction of our church is totally up to our next pastor. And friends, can I tell you, that is a very dangerous and scary place to be. There are many downfalls of just having one person as the head of the ministry. I'll give you some that I've observed. Ministries can become personality-centric, meaning that churches tend to take on the personality of the one pastor who leads them. With charismatic and outgoing people, it thrives as long as he's there, but when that person leaves or goes to heaven, the church would change, sometimes radically, or even fall apart because it's centered on that one person, and when that one person is gone, everything falls apart frequent pastoral turnover is also a problem because when the when the head pastor leaves and if there are assistant pastors there the senior pastor would move on the church would call another senior pastor from outside all of the assistant pastors would turn in their resignation <clears throat> excuse me and in a matter of a couple months or a year the entire pastoral staff would turn over and people would look around and say everything is different what in the world happened you'll see this reflected when somebody goes to a church and says i've assembled my team You can also have a God's man mentality. You're God's man for God's time. The church would view the pastor as a super Christian or possessing the ability to be closer to God and communicate with God than a normal Christian wouldn't. That somehow God has chosen one person to be more than mortal, and in some case almost viewed as a Baptist priest. If I can just get to him, he can get to God and everything will be okay. If I don't know what to do, I'll just go ask my pastor. He'll pick up his spiritual bat phone, which goes straight to heaven. He'll talk to God and God will tell me what to do. You also can come up with an imbalanced ministry. Maybe the pastor is specifically gifted in one area, and the ministry ends up being lopsided, whether it be towards evangelism or towards discipling or towards a certain outreach, and before you know it, you've got a church that is solely based on one lopsided ministry. You can also, most dangerously in my mind, come up with a one conscience ministry, which means that the one pastor makes all of the decisions in the ministry, and before you know it, Everything in the church from his color preferences to the carpet to his music preferences in the Sunday morning service to his, you know, his preferences on every single aspect of ministry is now driving this one ministry. And the ministry is driven by one conscience. And we could go on and on and on. There are also some benefits. Changes can happen quickly. Decisions can be made quickly. Everybody knows who's in charge. And whether you see those as blessings or dangers depends on your approach to church. And so we have to ask the question what is a plurality, a group, a church being led by a group of pastors? What is it? And let's understand it before we ask whether or not it's biblical. Let's first understand what we're talking about. And so I have two models for you here one is our current cbc model which again is not wrong i would not say this is unbiblical but i do think there is a way that would be better and more protective for our church family The current CBC model is that you have a senior pastor who has his assistants as well as a board, an advisory board of deacons, trustees, a clerk, Sunday school superintendent, financial secretary, treasurer, that kind of thing. And then you have the congregation. Those are the four groups in which we have now. And the proposed model that we would work towards would be a plurality, a group of pastors, both paid and unpaid pastors who would serve in this group. Who, are, uh, who would lead, deacons who would serve, and the congregation who would a- accomplish the discipling work of the ministry. Now let me make a couple of notes here. Rather than just one senior pastor, we'd be led by a group of pastors... Now, I will still keep the vast majority of the teaching as I have in the past. I believe it's very helpful for you to hear a variety of men preaching and teaching the Scripture. I think it's both healthy for you and I think it's healthy for our pastoral staff. However, I will continue to preach on the Sunday morning services and some of the Sunday evening services to remain the head of the teaching, kind of guiding that and leading that. And I would continue to do that. I will also remain as the head of the staff in running the day-to-day operations of the church, keeping the other paid pastors accountable in their work responsibilities. I will continue to lead the pastors. And if you you need a title, it will be something like a first among equals. We'll still refer to me as a senior pastor, meaning that I'll be head of the staff and I will do the majority of the teaching. However rather than also carrying the sole weight of shepherding and the sole spiritual accountability to our church that will be spread among other pastors equally according to their gifting. Both pastors that are paid and that are unpaid. Now, we have purposefully given you you a picture of what this looks like. We have been sharing responsibilities among the pastors, as you've seen evident in our teaching, preaching schedule, as well as in the responsibilities on Sunday morning. What you've seen is how we would continue to operate What you've been seen and been blessed by over the past year is how the pastoral responsibilities will continue. A big change would be that we would also pray that God would raise up unpaid pastors in our congregation who would join our pastoral staff as unpaid pastors. You could call them lay pastors. These would be men in the congregation who would be ordained by our congregation to serve as a pastor as as they can make available their schedule in the margins of their life. They would not be paid by the church, but they would serve with us as pastors. And we would together lead the congregation. Thirdly, you'll notice that all the advisory board positions would be absorbed into a larger group of serving deacons. This means that the deacons would not act as a governing board, but would be focused on serving. This would result in the elevation of the current board positions, not getting rid of the current board positions. Since these positions are serving rather than leadership-based, that is how our deacons, according to Acts chapter 6, should be operating, We would be looking for people exactly like, men exactly like, who are currently serving on the board to continue their roles with the added title of serving as a deacon. In other words, we'd have a deacon of building, a deacon of grounds, deacon of member care, deacon of finance, things of those natures. That's what we see pictured for us in scripture. Now, when I look at this chart, does this mean that the pastors are in charge of everything and can do what they want? The only way that I know how to communicate that, and the congregation is there, is to say, what is the church authority structure? Now, in order to explain to you the church authority structure of what we're proposing, I'd like to first tell you what this is not. Okay? Let's say what this is not. There is a model of church governance that is called elder or pastor rule. I don't necessarily think that is an unbiblical or wrong way to do it. however, I do not see this reflected in Scripture, and I do not think that this would be best for community or really any best for any local church, because in essence, this is what pastoral rule is. This is not I'm going to say this again this is not what I'm sugge- what we are suggesting. But this is the model that some would think and would misinterpret the suggestion as. The pastors would then make all of the decisions and have the authority in the church. The deacons then would do whatever the pastors want and serve as the servants of the church. And the congregation would then be observers watching on without input or influence. This is not what we're referring to. And to emphasize that, I did something really cheesy. This is not what we are referring to. Because if we are not careful, you will come out with questions about a plurality or a group of pastors and you will misunderstand what we are communicating. The church authority structure that we are recommending that we see in Scripture is the following. Christ is the head of the church. Underneath the church, the congregation serves as the final authority Of the church, they are led by pastors and they are served by deacons. Now, both pastors and deacons are members of the congregation, but there are two groups that the congregation, according to the book of Acts, according to the epistles, are called out from the congregation in order to lead them and serve them, and those are pastors and deacons. Our goal is to be as biblical as possible, to use biblical terms as much as possible, and to organize our church as much as possible in regards to Scripture. This is not pastoral rule. This is pastoral led. Now, that is an explanation of what we are recommending and your mind right now is full of a hundred plus questions. And Tonight, during the evening service, I've written down a list of 18 questions that you should have about this, okay? So if you have questions in your mind, that's a good thing. We love questions because that means you're thinking and you're processing through scripture. And the first question that you should be asking in your mind is, is this what the Bible teaches? Before we go anywhere else, now that you know what it is, the question is, is this what the Bible teaches? And so for the remainder of our time this morning, I am going to preach on the entire Bible in 30 minutes, okay? I am going to go cover to cover very briefly and hit every passage of Scripture that deals with this concept We're going to stick to the New Testament because we're a New Testament church. It's pictured in the Old Testament. If you'd like to see Moses and Jethro's advice, where Jethro comes to Moses and he says, you cannot lead the children of Israel on your own. You need other leaders to help you. So if you want to start there, you can read through how that falls out. And that would actually be what carries into the New Testament on its very basic form. But we're going to begin in Matthew, and we're going to go all the way through Revelation, and we're going to ask the question, what does the Bible say about this? I would like you to turn to Acts chapter 6. I'm going to put all the other references on the screen for us, okay? You turn to Acts chapter 6. I'm going to begin in the New Testament at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. The first mention of the church as Jesus gives a prophecy that he's going to build his called out group of people in the future and here's what he says you are Peter and on this rock I will build and there's a very important word here my church the church does not belong to you friend the church does not belong to me the church does not belong to the deacons it does not belong to the membership it does not belong to the pastors the church belongs to Jesus alone And this is vitally important, because you and I do not own the church, we are stewards of the local church, that we have been called to steward God's church. And so Jesus says, I will build my church. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, this explains to us and is the very basis of our congregationalism. That when someone who's a member acts like they are unsaved in a persistent way of unconfessed, unrepentant sin, it is the congregation's job, as verse 17 says, to remove that person from membership. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, it is the church's responsibility to keep the membership accountable. This implies that the congregation has ultimate authority when dealing with church discipline matters. I don't get to choose who becomes a member of community. The pastors don't, the deacons don't, you don't. The membership chooses, and we do that consistently on Sunday morning. I have you in Acts chapter 6 because this is the infant version of the church as it's just been birthed at Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 6, I'd like to make some observations. Look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. There was was actually a charge of racism here that you like Hebrew Christians more than you like Greek Christians. Christians, because the Hebrew Christians supposedly, whether it's true or not, we don't know, they were accused of caring, of serving one group more than others. The twelve, the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples, that's all of the church. And said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That word serve is the word diakonos from where we get our word deacon. And so the first observation we make from Acts chapter 6 is that serve means deacon. The men listed here in verse 5 were... We could call them pre deacons. They didn't know they were called deacons at this time. They were called diakonos. And then later it was like, hey, why don't we just call you what you are? Just like the church was called what it was, a gathering. So the church was called the ecclesia, which means gathering. Here the servants are called diakonos because they're deacons. Therefore, brothers, verse 3 choose out from among you seven men of good repute. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This passage indicates, number two, a clear division between two kinds of needs in the church. There are word needs and there are physical needs. If I were to try to keep up with all of the physical needs of the church, I would not be able to bring you a well-crafted, deep, well-prepared theological sermon every week or sermons every week. There's no chance of that happening. Our pastors would not be able to give themselves to discipling and word endeavors because our church has so many needs. Verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Two different ministries, not one over the other, both needed, both important, physical needs and spiritual needs. Look at verse 5, what they said pleased the whole gathering, that's the church. They chose all of these men. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. Well, verse 6, they served based on the, uh, the um, commissioning of the apostles and the word of God increased. This passage indicates a plurality of apostles. There were 12 apostles needed in order to serve the, need, the word needs, the spiritual needs of the church. No one person could manage either all their spiritual or their physical needs of the church. Don't raise your hand, but let me ask you a question. Do you have any spiritual needs through which you would need or like help and word guidance? And it would be impossible for me to meet all of those spiritual needs. The apostles recognized this, and thus the apostles served with the deacons. Both, plural, plural. Fourthly, the apostles appeared to the congregation to choose their deacons, and they did so. And fifthly, the passage exalts this physical work of deacons. If the deacons did not serve in the way that they served you, the the sound system would not work, the lights would not come on, the PowerPoint would not work, the building would not be clean, deacon care teams would not be organized, the funeral dinner that we just had yesterday for a dear member who went home to be with the Lord would not have been organized and provided for in the way that it was. Deacons serve a vital, vital role in the church. And then we could go on there. For the sake of time, let's continue to the next passage, it's Acts chapter 11, verse 30. They did so sending it to the elders, the, the, what we call pastors, what we refer to as pastors, the Bible refers to as elders, shepherds, or pastors, and overseers. I love the, the title of pastor, and I'm thankful that we can use that here at Community, because the idea of pastoring is the idea of, of the action of shepherding. An elder is someone who stands as a a spiritual example, and that is true as well. But the idea of being a pastor is someone who works out their spiritual gifting in order to shepherd the congregation. And so here they're referred to in Acts 11 as they are, as the title in the New Testament is given to them as elders, but you'll always see it in the plural, sending it to the elders of the church by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the first reference to these elders in the book of Acts. It's plural. The Jerusalem church recognized that they needed more men to follow the apostles. After the apostles had gone, after the apostles had died, they needed more people to serve the church. And so they appointed a group of pastors. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, when they appointed an elder for, uh, that actually should be elders, that's a, that's a misprint there, when they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Acts chapter 14 shows us that they appointed Acts chapter 14 is when the church is churches are being planted, and that's a typo. It should be elders. You can turn there and reference that. Basically, they'd plant a church. They would appoint a group of men over that church to lead the church. They'd move on to plant another church. These were not paid staff. These were churches made up of poor people who could not afford to pay pastors. Pastors do not need... What makes a pastor a pastor is not that they're paid or hired. What makes a pastor a pastor is that the congregation has called out somebody and says, you lead us. You be our pastor. We are calling you. That's where we get the term pastoral call. We are calling you to lead us. So they don't have to be paid. A lot of churches cannot afford a pastor. Again, my dad, when he planted the church that he retired from, the church could not pay him. He went out on missionary support, but he was their pastor because the church asked him to be their pastor. These elders were not seminary graduates. They were men who were qualified and godly men in order to lead the church. Acts chapter 15 and 16 records the proceedings and the verdict of the Jerusalem counselor, uh, The Jerusalem council. We don't have time to look there. You can look there uh, as you want to, but it takes a lot more time to explain. Basically, the apostles get together and they call together the elders from the church to make a, a doctrinal decision, but that decision was made by the congregation there present as well. Another effect of congregationalism. Acts chapter 20 in verse 17 is given there on, your, uh, on the screen. Now for Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, pastors, plural, from the church, singular. Everywhere they're going, they're contacting a church and they're asking, send us the men, plural, who are your leaders. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, singular, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, plural. He's writing to the overseers, the group of men who are leading the church, care for the church of God. And it goes on in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Luke uses the term elders and overseers there. This is the third term of this office of pastor. Acts 21, 18, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders, all the leaders of the church were present. Paul returns to Jerusalem and calls the leadership of that church. First Corinthians chapter five and chapter six speak of a church discipline situation which imply the res- uh, congregational responsibility. You can write that down or research that later. It's congregationalism in first Corinthians five and six. Ephesians is the first epistle to make a substantial reference to church leadership. And I want to make a congregational note. It's not in my notes here. Paul doesn't write all of the letters to the pastors. He writes them to the churches. And he tells the churches how they are to operate, friends. You as a member are given the responsibility of doing the work of the ministry. You are the authority of the church. Now, Paul does write to Timothy, and he writes to Titus on telling them how to organize the church. But every one of his letters, including Ephesians, that was written about how the church should function in congregational responsibility is actually written to congregations, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, which we saw at the beginning, apostles, prophets, pastors, plural, teachers, plural. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, which I don't have on the PowerPoint, Paul writes to the saints who are in Philippi with what? The overseers, the pastors, and the deacons, plural. I'm writing to the saints in the church, singular, and you have in your church two groups, pastors and deacons. And the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus are vitally important because they tain, contain Paul's instructions to the next generation of ministers beyond the apostles. The apostles are passing off the scene and Paul tells Titus, here's who should take up the mantle when the apostles are gone. And so he says, overseers, pastors, elders, 1 Timothy 3, He gives qualifications, as we'll look at in depth. We won't go into them this morning because we'll look at them in depth in another message. The qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 of pastors and deacons. The qualifications of pastors and deacons are roughly parallel with one difference, and that is that the deacons must be apt to teach. Um, Titus 1.5, by the way, 1 Timothy 4.14 the council, the group of elders laid their hands on Timothy and, and gave him their stamp of approval for ministry. We would call that ordination. First Timothy 5:17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Very important. Listen to First Timothy 5:17. Let the pastors who rule well be considered of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. He's giving you two categories of men who are leading the church. He says those who are serving in the area of preaching and teaching, the double honor there is a euphemism in the first century for paying them. And so what we would say is those who are laboring and preaching and teaching, we don't want them to be distracted from their ministry by having to also work 40 hours a week to provide for themselves and their families and then try to feed us the word because that's not what's best for the church. And so we provide for the living of certain pastors so that they can give themselves to equipping and preaching and teaching and as we have needs, maybe more than that, but we also have a group of pastors who we have no need to provide for who are leading the church. Very clear, 1 Timothy five seventeen, that there are two different groups. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says, This is why I left you in Crete. You might put the churches in order, put what remained in order, appoint elders in every town, singular, as I directed you. Go from town to town, plant a church, and appoint pastors, to lead that church. Are you seeing a pattern here? James 5.14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him, singular, call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular. If there is a member in a church who is sick, who do they call for? Do they call for one pastor? No, call for the pastors to gather together. The assumption is that you've got a, one church with many members who have a group of men leading them. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 is so important when we talk about pastoral ministry and ecclesiology. I exhort the elders, plural, among you, singular, speaking to a specific church. As a fellow elder, he says, listen, I am with you. Who's writing? Peter is. Peter is the head of the Jerusalem church. He's writing to the group of men who are serving with him. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as one who is, as we use the term, first among equals, meaning the leader of the group, but still part of the group. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And we're going to spend a long time in this passage and a later um, a, a later message and how we recognize pastors and what their responsibility is. Five critical observations. Peter addresses the plurality of elders. He refers to himself as an elder. Number two, number three, eldering is shepherding. Four, in a single passage, Peter combines elder, pastor, and overseer. This is why we know that is talking about the same office, and then Jesus is the chief shepherd. The only head of the church is Jesus Christ, and we can't say that enough, friends. All of our responsibility is to follow the pattern of Christ. Pastors will give an account as to how they lead. Deacons will give an account as to how they serve and members will give an account as to how they fulfill the, the work of the ministry. There are two additional, that was a, I mean, a breeze through of the New Testament in, in regards to pastors in the church. If you would like these notes, I can send them to you so you can study them on your own. But that is the overarching message of scripture second john chapter one the elder of the elect lady and her children the apostle john even recognized that he himself was functioning as an elder in a church the elder to the beloved gaius he's writing to actually one of his church members in third john one and so even he is serving as a pastor so what's conclusion here what's the new testament conclusion about pastors As we have looked at this and we went in depth with these passages, we read a book that helped us understand this concept. Many of you may not have even known there was another option available in this, in our Baptist heritage. And as we interviewed pastors, some who inherited churches who 150 years ago were founded on this principle and others who um, migrated a church to this, much like we're suggesting. Here are the conclusions that we've come to about pastors. Number one, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the supreme head of the church. He is the arch shepherd, as he's referred to in Scripture. You have shepherds, but he is your arch shepherd. Christ will minister to your heart through the ministry of the Spirit, through the Word of God, in a greater way than any pastor can. And I think one reason why church members may become frustrated with some of their pastors is because they expect the pastor to be something that he's not. They expect the pastor to fulfill the role of Christ in their life. And that can't happen. Like we say often, we are all beggars, including me. We are all beggars finding bread at the same place. Jesus Christ is our arch shepherd. Number two, the Bible emphasizes congregationalism, specifically in matters of church discipline, selection of pastors and deacons. The epistles also address the whole congregations responsible for following Christ. Thirdly, the Bible teaches three continuing offices in the church, member, pastor, and deacon. Yes, we can say there's two offices because the pastor and deacon technically are also members. I am a member of Community Baptist Church, just like you are, under the same authority. When we have members meetings and we vote on something, I get one vote. I don't have like a super vote that counts as 10 or 15. Ben tried to get that when he became a pastor, but I said, no, you can't have a super vote. You only get one as well, right? We all are just members of the congregation with two offices flowing out of that. Pastors, deacons. Number four, pastors and deacons in scripture. Listen carefully, church. Listen carefully. Pastors and deacons always, 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 always occur in Scripture in a plurality. The only exception to that, which is not an exception, but for somebody who is looking for an exception may find something that, try to make it say what it doesn't, in Timothy, he's talking about individual people and how they're qualified. So he says, for an overseer must be qualified in this way. Group of men can't be qualified. For pastors, you examine their character individually, right? You don't vote on a pastoral staff. You vote on an individual person. And so even that is not talking about soul headship. Every, every, every time in Scripture that you see the office of pastor referenced and you see the office of deacon referenced, it is always in a group setting. Fifthly, Paul distinguishes two types of pastors— Paid and unpaid. We have a little bit of time, so I want to tell you the way in which, as your as your pastor, the way in which this light bulb may go off. If you ever come across somebody in your congregation, maybe that you know or a friend, and you've thought, Man, they would make a fantastic pastor. Too bad they're a doctor too bad they already have a great living and if they left what they're doing to become a pastor, uh, (laughs) they'd take a major pay cut, right? Or, Or too bad they're this or too bad they're that. Man, they make a great pastor. You know what this model does is it says, of course they would make a great pastor, so make them a pastor. Because in the New Testament, you didn't have to pay people. So go, let's go to that person. Let's see if they have the desire to be a pastor. Let's examine their character to see if their character to be a pastor. Let's examine their competence to see if they're apt to teach. Let's ordain them through our congregation. And let's ask them to shepherd our church. That doesn't mean they have to leave. They're, that doesn't mean they have to come out of retirement or they have to leave their where they are. It means that God has gifted the church with pastors. And friends, can I tell you, God has gifted community with pastors right here. You know, it would be the biggest blessing of Community Baptist Church that we would never call anybody from outside our congregation to ever pastor this church again. That every single pastor, that whatever shepherd Community Baptist Church would always be someone from the midst of community. That the time would come And it will come eventually. I have no plans in my mind, nor am I seeking this. And I told Becky when we moved up here, I never want to move or pack up a house ever again. If we ever move, I'm selling everything and starting over and driving away in a car. I have no desire to move or leave. But friends, all of us will be in heaven one day, and we don't know God's plan for the future. There will come a time, maybe in your lifetime, maybe not, where Community Baptist Church will be deciding who will carry the primary teaching and leadership load among the pastors. And when that time comes, can you imagine how amazing it would be if that person came from our church? Because God gifts the church with shepherds. And there are men in our congregation right now who in their heart are saying, maybe that's me. And there are others who are saying not in a million years. Because the office of the pastor begins if you aspire to the office of an overseer. It begins with the aspiration of biblical leadership, of accountability, of weight. The leadership at community is unified in this. And we are suggesting to you that we take this step. However, for us to go into this lightly, or to assume that you would have all of the information that you need in order to make that decision in a short amount of time would be ineffective leadership. And so we've decided to do this as a process. And so going forward, here's going to be our pattern I'm going to be preaching through these passages in regards to shepherding and pastoring, and it will have a dual effect. Number one, it will inform you as to what this looks like. And number two, it will also give you a better idea that if we choose to make this step and we start recognizing men from among us who are gifted in this way, you will know what to look for. You will know what to look for in someone who would be an unpaid pastor. The other side of this will be that I will be leading in Sunday evenings Questions that you should have about this. Um, If you're thinking you shouldn't just say, Pastor Joe, that sounds like a great idea. Whatever you want to do, bro. No, 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 no. If we're going to do this, then we are going to do this. And we need to decide as a church if this is the direction in which we should go. Questions like, how do you do this? If we did this, how would we transition Have we been doing it wrong all of these years? Are you telling me that now, in the 76th year of community's history, that you're going to come in and you're going to change everything because we've been doing something wrong? Do Baptists really do this? How would this flush out? Who would I talk to? Wait a minute, I didn't think that I was qualified to be a deacon because of something that happened in my past 20 years ago. 30 years ago, and now you're telling me that I'm serving as a trustee or I nominated for somebody as a trustee and that would be the same person who could serve in the office of deacon? I didn't know that 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 could work that way. All of these are questions that you should have in your mind. And I'm going to be walking through 18 of those questions. Some of you are like, I've never thought of 18 questions about anything in my life, right? I'm going to work through those and then if you have more questions than that, if you would please email me at bjaquo at communitybaptist.com. No, just kidding. If you would email me at jfant at communitybaptist.com, jfant at communitybaptist.com, or you can email heather at info at church secretary, we'll add that question to the list and we'll deal with it. Because this is a process that we're going together as a church family. And the deacons have put in a lot of work. If you're if you're hesitant about this or questioning this, here's what I'd like you to do: go to a deacon and say, "Hey, can I ask you some questions? And can you help take me through the process you went through? Because we studied through this together." I'd also like to recommend to you two books. They have really great titles: Deacons and Elders. Okay, they're uh, they're on our church um, in, on our church. Um, Help me. Resource Center. Thank you. Resource Center right over here. If you don't know how to use Amazon, ChristianBook.com, things like that, we've got them for sale for you. You'll see a little explanation on the left um, shelf there on how to do that with how to write a check or put money in an envelope specifically for it. Um, These would be great for you to read. It would be fantastic if every single person um, worked through these books. We give this book to every single one of our new deacons. To read through, and then we talk to them about it. It's really helpful, a handbook for deacons. These read together will help you understand um, kind of what we've gone through in a self-discovery way of reading through it and, and giving some real-life examples of this happened, here's how the church handled it, things of that nature, and so if you're really interested in this, you can pick up these two books. I think that would be a, a huge help to you, and I hope that as we move forward that we'll recognize. Um, The immense thought and care and study that went into this presentation, and um, that we'll move forward um, as God would allow with an understanding and seeing what God has for us in the future. We actually have a great illustration of one of the responsibilities of the office of a pastor, and that is that we have a baptism service uh, immediately following the preaching. And so I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to have Sean come lead a hymn, and then we'll do, uh, we'll do our baptism. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as our chief shepherd, recognizing that our responsibility is simply to align under um, what you have for us, to recognize um, that the church belongs to you. And oh God, we pray that you would give us wisdom for the future. Help us not to take anything lightly, but that we would give great thought and care unto how your church should be ordered, that we would give prayer times and focus, and that you would guide and direct.